0: One of the factors I think that's really important to resilience is having a sense of purpose. Yeah, having a reason why. Humans, mm. we're meaning-making machines. We need it to mean something. If, if there's a strong enough meaning, that's where we get our motivation to face adversity and to move through adversity. So if there's no purpose, if we don't have a deeper sense of this is meaningful work, we're less resilient. On those tough days, we have less inclination to get out of bed and face it. But if we have a strong purpose, a strong reason why.
1: Staying motivated takes work. If you don't work on your motivation, you become unmotivated. Join Umar Jang as he shares inspirational stories and tips to get you motivated to do whatever you need to do. This is the Motivational Voice Podcast. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Motivational Voice Podcast. This is session number 45. I hope you are doing well and that you are taking the time to enjoy your summer and take a break to unwind and give yourself some well-deserved R&R, even if it's a staycation. When it comes to resting, anything can make a difference in helping you maintain a healthy balance between work and play. Speaking of work, in today's episode, we are talking about leadership and resilience. Being a leader might mean different things to different people, depending on where you are in your leadership journey. You can be a youth group leader, a coach, a teacher, or you might even be a C-suite executive leading hundreds of people within an organization. But the principles of resilience leadership apply regardless of the level of leadership you might find yourself in. Today's guest works with and trains leaders to think differently about how they can be more effective leaders. And he does that in an unusual way. So I am excited to bring you our conversation about leadership and resilience.
0: Let's listen.
1: Jim, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you, Uma. Thank you for having me along.
1: Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on. Would you take a second and Introduce yourself to our audience, So, who you are and what you do.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, so my name is Jem. Um, what do I do? I coach senior leaders in across government and private and not-for-profit sectors currently. And I run before COVID and, and now that restrictions are starting to ease, we will commence our international retreat programs again. So I run an international leadership retreat program in the remote Himalayan mountains of northern India. And also in the northern jungles of Bali, a place in Indonesia.
1: Wait, what? You—that <laughs> <laughs> is interesting. How did that come about?
0: There is a story behind that. Actually, the first leadership retreat started in in this village in um, in in northern India, and that happened uh, more than twenty years ago when I was a backpacker. I spent many years just wandering around the world, actually, and and I was fascinated with getting to immerse myself into cultures that were very different to the culture I grew up in. I didn't I didn't realize at the time. At the time I was just I was just adventurous and wanting to get off the beaten track. But now with the benefit of hindsight, I look back and realize that I was driven to connect with people from very different cultures to mine. I was fascinated with finding the commonalities that that humans share. Anyway that that had me going to some really wonderful places and particularly this village in Himachal Pradesh estate in northern India. And I met this family, I fell in love with this family and ended up living with them for a long time. And they adopted me pretty much as a part of their family back when I was in my 20s. And that started the relationship. When I was first living there, I had this feeling I was going to take people there. It's a very magical place. It's a healing place. There's something special about the energy in in this particular Mm -hmm. part of the mountains. And I said to my mountain brother over there i said i've got this feeling i'm going to bring people here away from the west away from their you know microwaves and televisions and cars and computers and get them back into nature and he said to me he's a conservationist and he said well why don't we pick up rubbish because we have a problem here the shepherds with their goats in the mountains are leaving rubbish because they don't understand what the rubbish is doing so that was the idea and that was over 20 years ago and then when i started my leadership coaching uh, company business I had this download moment. I just had a kind of flash moment of, wow, it's a leadership program. <laughs> and, I, and I kind of got the whole idea in this five minutes and then decided to do it. So I started taking leaders over there. And, and sure enough, we pick up rubbish still to this day. We take uh, enough pack horses with us when we trek. Where we go trekking, there's no people. Um, we're completely off the grid. People's phones don't work. They have no connection. Um, we go very, very remotely and we're camping. Up in the mountains, and we pick up rubbish. And we've also since then we've we've funded a, a rubbish collection education program. We've also funded a small school in the village. Um, we've taken lots of people there now. So that's that's how it all began. Uh, you started those in. This is in the same village that you in, initially lived at, right? Same village. Yep, same village. And so my, I call him my brother. He's he's not my not my real brother, obviously. He's my mountain brother. Uh, so he and I met when he was uh, 20 and I was 27. And so before either of us had become married and had children. And then since then we've watched each other have children and watched our, our children grow up and connected. Unfortunately, my kids haven't been there yet, um, but they know it's my second home because I go every year. So yeah, same village, same people. Um, I, I'm a part of the furniture now.
1: Yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. And uh we well our topic today, which we will get to, which is about talking about how that led you to leadership and how and the, the resilience that comes along with that. But I had to to mention this. I had to ask because a lot of the things you said resonated with me. The taking these these leaders into these areas where there are lots of trees and they're they're pretty much off the beaten beaten path. The there is a. There's an art, a Japanese art of uh, of it's called sunbathing, right? Where there's a scientific, uh, it's scientifically proven to really improve your health when you are really basically sun uh, bathing, right? You're in the forest. Was there a reason why you brought them there? Was it to show them the you know what you learned from from that experience that you had, or what was the reason why you are taking these leaders in the uh, these areas?
0: Yeah, it's such a great question, Uma. And um, I I love this research as well. The Japanese have been measuring the the positive benefits of being immersed in nature for us. Mm. I wasn't aware of that research when I first had the idea, but essentially the first idea really was about nature therapy. Mm. You know, this was back when I was in my 20s. Um, I, I wasn't. I wasn't um, experienced in leadership. I wasn't qualified as a coach. I was much younger. In fact, I I was living a very bohemian life around the world. I was basically traveling and working any job I could work to to keep traveling. So I've done many things. You know, I'm from a, a tribal tattooist to a fire dancer to a kindergarten teacher in Asia to a, a volunteer in some third world countries and. Motorcycle courier and labourer and many many things, um, but I wasn't specialised in leadership or resilience back then. I just had this strong feeling, um, intuitive feeling, to bring people into this beautiful immense nature, because it's it's um, any nature is good, yeah. So going to the ocean is good, going into the forest is good. We know this, but this particular nature in in the Himalayan mountains is absolutely magnificent the mountains are so big you know it's it's awe-inspiring when you're in these mountains you can't help but feel um well many things but you feel small and humbled by these mountains um you feel that you are in the depth of majesty like It's hard to explain. It's a really, really stunning, beautiful place. So initially the feeling I had was around nature therapy. Yeah, sure. Wow. And then since I've been running the retreat, I've realized that there are other benefits for taking people away from their normal paradigm. So by that, I mean their normal day-to-day routine and having them fly to the other side of the world and to get up into these mountains is a bit of a mission. It's not easy. So, the path, the journey is important. You know, it's not, it's not like you can just wake up in the morning and get on a bus and an hour later, you're there at the retreat center. You know, it's very different. If I run a leadership retreat in your hometown and we go to a, a, you know, a corporate office building and we have a, a, a meeting room booked out and I run a leadership program in there, the experience is very different. The content is the same, but the the context is completely different. So to to make an effort to go a long way away, and also to go to a culture that's very different, opens up people's um, creative capacity. Yeah, because they're they're not in Kansas anymore, so to speak. All right. You know, re, we, they they get to somewhere that's very very different. A lot of my clients haven't been to India before, let alone up into the Himalaya. And the villages are beautiful. The people are lovely and very hospitable, but culturally very different. So it's, it's important to do this. And then when we get up into the mountains, we trek for out of the two-week program. We trek for seven days with pack horses and guides. And uh, we're camping and living quite rough. So very simple living, cooking on a fire, that sort of thing. Um, and it's so remote and so high up in the mountains it, it's a little bit magical. It really creates the space for people to think differently, and that's that's what I'm hoping for with this retreat. I'm hoping that people come home with a different perspective to their lives, to their leadership, to their businesses, the people that they that they lead, and to the the people that they love, their families. And that's generally what what happens. So it's a really it's a it's an honourable thing to be able to do.
1: Yeah, I think one thing you said that resonated with me was that. That feeling of being a minute speck mm. on this earth when you are in, in certain environments like mountains and and I, I had a similar experience where, long story short, I was crossing a branch of the uh, the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, going from one country to another. And uh, the ferry was shut down because it was after hours. And this was with, I was traveling with my mom at the time, and we were crossing using a pirogue which was, you know, those small African boats that was overloaded with people. And it happened to have been raining and there was a storm. And we ended up in, in the middle of this, it was just a branch of the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, but being in the midst of of the ocean that was angry and stirred up i i really felt many many emotions one was i was uh, you know i wasn't in control uh, i could die at any second most people around me couldn't swim <laughs> and yeah but there was something about the experience that just made me feel like there is more to to the world than us. You know, there's a lot bigger picture here. Mm. So I really, yeah. really, that spoke to me when you mentioned that. Uh, now, a good segue. Yes, I did notice that all of the jobs you had, uh, which, again, uh, I identify with that. I've done many, many apprenticeships and jobs. How did all of these jobs inform your going into a leadership position?
0: Mm. Yeah, look, I, I always... Um, naturally I was happy to take the lead you know we're, we're born with certain behavioral tendencies there's different behavioral styles and we can obviously learn um, as we go I was through through high school and through any job that I was in um, I was always happy to if no one else was taking the lead I was happy to take the lead and say hey let's get this done so that was natural then in my early 30s when I became a father I realized that I needed to Stop just traipsing around the world, and I needed to get some sort of career so I could provide for these children. And I got a job with an international travel company because i had been travelling for most of my adult life. And through my years with this travel company, I just naturally progressed through the the rungs of leadership. My last three years with that company, I was in a senior leadership position, uh, you know, with 150 staff and 100 million dollar business, and you know, all of the pressures that come with driving net profit growth quarter on quarter, which I really didn't like and, and didn't sit with me well and, and was the reason in the end that I sabotaged and, and lost that that job. But prior to that, in those last three years of senior leadership, I was introduced to leadership coaching and training and human behavioral profiling and neuro-linguistic programming and all this really cool stuff that I loved. So, that was my, my real immersion into Focusing on leadership and, and what it can be, and how can we develop ourselves as leaders? That's that's how I got to the leadership part of it.
1: Right, yeah. It, it's it occurred to me that we probably need to to define what leadership means, at least for you. What what does leadership mean to
0: you? Well, f- firstly, I think that ultimately, the role of a leader is it's an act of service. Hmm. That it's that it's about serving the people and the greater good. So I'm very much um, about leading from the heart and and leading as an act of service. To do that, however, um, to be able to not make it about you and to make it about the mission, the purpose, the higher purpose of the organisation, the higher purpose of um, the people who are the end beneficiaries of of whatever your organisation does, and to make it about the people involved. To do that, you have to first... um, become okay with yourself, become very self-aware and self-accepting so that you can get out of the way. If you're not aware of yourself, quite often leaders will get in their own way, you know, and not just leaders, humans in general. We we have a very strong ego, whether your ego, whether your sense of identity is positive or negative or somewhere in between, our sense of identity quite often gets in the way of service because we're unaware of it. So I think as a leader, we need to be constantly practicing developing our self-awareness and our self-okayness so that we can get out of the way and not make it about us and, and more clearly serve the higher purpose or the greater good. So the role of a leader really is to to create an environment that is conducive for the people in that environment to get where, we, where we're going, to have a clear vision of where we're heading and to, and to lead people there um, and there's many ways to do that. You know, many there's many aspects to leadership. It's not quite a very simple thing. And obviously, we might not be physically going somewhere. So our organisation, we, we come to this building every day and we come together to um, create widgets or provide this service or do our not-for-profit work or whatever it is we're doing. So we're physically not going anywhere. But we are psychologically, emotionally, and in terms of what we provide, we're going somewhere. In five years from now, we hope to have expanded as individuals and as a collective, we hope to have expanded, yes, so that we are a different version of ourselves, hopefully a more positive, effective, functional version of ourselves. So the leader's job is to to lead people into this expansion of self. When I say self, I don't just mean the individual, I mean us as a collective as well.
1: What has all of these experiences that you've had taught you about resilience?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, there's, there's a few factors to resilience. Resilience has become a really um, a big topic, I'm sure, where you are as well, Uma, over the last few years, especially. You know, and as I've been running my own coaching practice for nine years now, and resilience has always been something that I'm bringing to the table, but now over the last couple of years, the, the, the executives and the board level are having to face this. It, it has to be an item on the boardroom table now we need to talk about about our people's resilience because it's a, a big factor in our organization so um, it's good now that they're being forced to um, to address this so there's there's a few factors to resilience we've touched on on a few of them already one of the one of the factors i think that's really important to resilience is having a sense of purpose yeah having a reason why humans yeah. We're meaning-making machines. We need it to mean something. If, If there's a strong enough meaning, that's where we get our motivation to face adversity and to move through adversity. So if there's no purpose, if we don't have a deeper sense of this is meaningful work, we're less resilient. On those tough days, we have less inclination to get out of bed and face it. But if we have a strong purpose, a strong reason why, that contributes to our resilience. So there's that. The, I, I also believe that resilience has a lot to do with our mind, our mindset, our perspective, you know, and the discipline of a positive perspective is a very important component of resilience. And I, and I say the discipline of a positive perspective because some of us humans are naturally more negatively wired. So we naturally see what's not possible. We naturally um, see the glass half empty. And that's okay. That's fine. Some of us are naturally more positively wired. So we, excuse me, we have a tendency to see the glass half full. We're looking for the silver lining. we're, We're looking for what's possible. No matter where you are on this spectrum of negative to positive mindset, when we activate the discipline of a positive perspective, so when we question what we're telling ourselves and then look for what's possible, we get better results. This has been measured and our resilience is stronger. So, if we can cultivate with our leaders and teams, if we can cultivate the practice of looking for what's possible, we get better uh, results and our resilience is strengthened. Then also, uh, another aspect of resilience, I believe, is mindfulness. So, cultivating the mind, practice, meditation, essentially. And mindfulness is the practice of an attention to the present moment, quite simply without attaching to it, without identifying with it, without judging the moment, just simply noticing the present moment. We probably don't have time for me to go into that, but that's a, an important part of resilience I, I find. And then the last part of resilience we've already spoken about, which is nature. We need to spend time in nature. We need to make time in our weekly calendar. We need to block it into our calendar. I am going now for my resilience, for my well-being. I'm going to immerse myself in nature. I think it's really important.
1: Getting our mind and our habits right is very important for our well-being. That's one of the reasons why I started this podcast. But taking care of our bodies and especially what we put in it is equally as important. That's why I try to take those gummy vitamins every morning, but I can't, for the life of me, remember to take them consistently. So I was recently introduced to a better option from Athletic Greens. It's called AG1. When you take AG1, you're getting 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens, and they help you start your day right. This blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, immune system, energy, recovery, focus, and even aging. What's amazing about this product is that it contains less than one gram of sugar and has no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or anything artificial, but it still tastes good. And Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. So right now, you can reclaim your health and strengthen your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water daily. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash emerging. Again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash emerging to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Yeah, I think what I'm hearing there is that there is a certain balance that you have to strike between, between the self, the whether it's uh, making sure that you're, you're healthy enough, that you're in the right mindset, but also learning those key skills that together would really make you a more resilient individual. Now, from a standpoint of a leader, if if someone is leading, whether it's a new leader or a more C-suite leader, uh, executive leader, for example, uh, how do how do you tie the two resilience and and that leadership piece and find the right balance? Uh, because yes, we need to worry about our own resilience uh, if we are an individual, but as a leader, you have not only yourself to worry about, but then entire A group of people, your direct reports, and in some cases, an entire organization. Is there an approach that you would suggest for how to meld the two?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Dedicate time to both. So uh, this is me when I'm coaching a C-suite leader and executive leader, making sure that you lead by example in terms of placing importance, allocating time and priority to your own resilience, your own personal well-being. That means before you go to work, that you've had time to meditate, you've had time to exercise, you've had time to get into nature, that you make this a priority, that you don't say, I don't have time to look after myself because I'm too busy looking after everybody else. That doesn't work. <laughs> if you turn up to work at 6 o'clock in the morning and you're not leaving until 8 o'clock at night and you're telling your people to go home and look after themselves, they don't hear you, they don't listen to you, they copy you, right? Right? So first things first, look after yourself, and then secondly, and as importantly, so they're both of equal importance. It's the leader's responsibility to create an environment that is conducive, that that incentivizes the people within that environment to look after their own well-being and resilience. So what does that mean? Well, you know, that, be creative with this. Set up an environment where people have allocated time. Where they're still being paid to go and walk, go for a walk, or go and sit in the park, or meditate, or exercise. Make it part of the structure of the business. Have meetings when the team comes together for a meeting that they meditate for two minutes before the meeting commences. Have um, incentives where people regularly have time off to go and spend with their families and loved ones. You know, have it as a part of the the organizational culture because we know there's there's so much research and so much evidence showing that if you give people more time where they are with their loved ones or doing things they love to do, they're more productive when they're working anyway. And they're more creative. They get better results. So it's the leader's responsibility to create that environment, I believe.
1: Yeah, there's definitely a few things there that come to mind. And I think one of them is the the pandemic has been a great wake up call for a mm-hmm. lot of us to, uh, Especially you know, if if you if you consider yourself a workaholic, the, I mean, at least here in America, people will not use up all of their vacations. For example, they they will roll it over or lose it uh, the the next year. So I think we we for the first time in a long time humanity has been forced to sit down and say, okay, what do I value, <laughs> right? Yes, we have to pay the bills. We have to put a roof over our children's heads, but can we strike a balance between this uh, rat race craziness versus taking care of ourselves? And I think you you said it well in that, you know, as a leader, you put on your get your your oxygen mask first before you can put someone else's oxygen mask. Uh, using the analogy of uh, of an airplane, right? Now, how do, how do you? change a culture, for example, in some companies or environments, or even in some people's mindsets, the thinking might be, no, this is just the way it's been done, I shouldn't touch it, right? How do you get them to have that mindset shift to actually do those things and, and show how important it is to actually take care of yourself in, in the workplace?
0: Yeah, so look, I believe that to, to make any change within an organization, the first step is to have people understand why. Why would we make this change? Why is it important for us to make change? Now, COVID has provided the the most wonderful opportunity for that, which is that our people and their resilience and their well-being is of utmost importance. If our people all fall over, we can't do what we do. We don't exist. We only exist through, through our people. And their well being. So we must address this. This would be me as a leader talking to the executive leadership team around why we need to create this change. We need to create changes here to create an environment that is conducive to our people's well being and resilience. Okay. So we start with why. Then we go and we start changing the structure, the systems, the incentives, the processes. Right. You can't just go to the people and say, look after yourself more. You can't just go to the people and say, take your holidays. You need to change the structure, the processes, the systems, the incentives, and then the people will change. Yeah. So what does our week look like? When are we asking our people to turn up? How are we paying our people? Are we paying them from when they clock on or clock off? Or are we paying them on their output? Yeah, I heard a really wonderful um, podcast interview with the owner, the founder and owner of WordPress. You know, WordPress, the website people. Yeah, um, I, and I listened to this in the first year of the pandemic, so 2020. And he was saying that for for many years they've had a decentralized workforce, so people work from home. They don't have hours. They don't have clock on clock off hours. They work whenever they feel most productive some people are, are productive at six in the morning and some people are not so they work when they work they and they get paid on what they produce they get paid on their outcome not their input and i that so this is an example of a, of a structural or procedural change that the executives could make right and or or you could say um you know i'm just making this up umar but you could say for example to you people, to some people, we don't pay you beyond this amount of hours. Yeah. Right? You don't get paid. The more hours you work beyond this, we don't pay you for that. If yeah, if you quite want, what a to, mindset to the change there for people. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there was a, a business owner in New Zealand who he was reading about this stuff. I wish I could remember his name, um, but he was reading about this stuff, and he he thought. Um, OK, do you know, I'm going to run an experiment for three months. And he said to his exec team, we're going to introduce a four day week, but no one loses any pay. We're going to pay everybody the same. And his executive said, you're crazy. You can't do that. We're losing one fifth of our productivity of our hours. It we're, This won't work. But he said, I want to run an experiment for three months. And they rolled it out. It was big change. Everyone was worried they wouldn't get their work done in four days instead of five, but they were still going to be getting paid the same, et cetera. He ran the experiment. Do you know what? Productivity went up, right? People working a four-day week were more productive in those four days than they were in five. So the amount of output of the organization stayed the same, actually improved a little bit, but the well-being and the resilience of the people went through the roof. So you know we can, we can create procedural and structural change that creates the environment that incentivizes people to look after their resilience.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a good point. In that, uh, particularly in an organization, change sometimes needs to come from from the top down uh, for people to to be able to embrace it. Right to your point earlier, you you have to lead by example. If you are telling to people as a leader, you're saying. Take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. And they're seeing you. <laughs> you know, you're the first one in the office in the morning. You're the last one to leave the office at uh, in the evening. It, it there's a there's a lack of consistency there, and and people don't quite won't take you won't do that won't take action on, on what you're, you're saying. And uh, and yeah, we, the story you were sharing reminded me of a there was a, a CEO here in the, in the United States who the i think it was a gravity payments was the name of the company where they do payroll and he decided that he was going to raise everyone's salary to $70,000 and some people were in uproar and and quit uh, the company and 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 resigned because it was outrageous because well we have the education we have masters degrees and how how dare you raise the salary to 70,000 to even for the administrative assistant right and that goes to, to the fact that change can be difficult for some people to embrace, right? And so then the challenge becomes as a leader, how do you navigate those, those, uh, I guess unforeseen circumstances and or consequences of the decisions you make around change, right? As a leader. So the, any thoughts on that, on, on how to navigate that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Change will always bring about fallout, like you said. Change will always bring about um, disruption. So, when you are in the process of the change, so once you've once you've made a decision as a leader or as a leadership team, you've made a decision. These are the changes we're going to implement. I'm assuming those decisions have been made with the long term goal at mind, right? How do we want this organization to look? 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now, the long-term goal. And these changes, there's going to be short-term pain for the long-term gain. So when you are then um, rolling out the change, again, lead with a strong and and convicting reason why. Why are we doing this? We're doing this because we care about you. We care about our biggest asset, which is our people, and we want to create an environment that is, healthy for you to thrive. That's why we're doing this. Now, there, there, some of you may not want to be on board with this change and we understand. That's okay. But keep the long-term goal in the in front of the leader's mind. right? So there may, there may be disruption now today, this week, next month. In fact, this financial year may be very disrupted by this change that we're making. But we have to keep coming back to the leadership table with the long-term goal in mind and stay true to our course. You know, when I say stay true to the course, I mean, keep your compass bearing, keep your north star in focus and allow yourself to move with the elements. So if there's a storm that comes and the wind is blowing you this way, harness, harness the elements, you know, don't fight them, harness them, but keep that north star in your focus. Does that make sense to you, Umar?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a, yeah, good, good point there. Very interesting. And I know we're running short on time, uh, but I wanted to, to ask you, you you have a book that you wrote. Uh, can you tell, tell me a little more about that?
0: Yeah, sure. So it's my first published book, which is very exciting for me. Congratulations. It, it is, yeah, thank you. It came out in November last year. And the book is called The Art of Conscious Communication for Thoughtful Men, mm. A Way to Fulfilling Your Potential. Apparently, it's a good book, um, a good read for everyone. I'm getting some feedback from lots of women that are loving this book, um, and then giving it to their their partners or brothers or sons. Um, yeah, yeah. I was the gonna, reason, I, yeah. So yeah, no, go ahead. I was gonna, uh, yeah, I was gonna make a comment about the men part of it. <laughs> yeah, so I started. I started by writing a book, The Art of Conscious Communication. Hmm. Um, the reason I was, I, I've written about communication and conscious communication is that I believe that communication is arguably the most important aspect or conduit to, to anything that we want to um, enjoy the success of. So mm-hmm. when I say success, I know that's subjective, but the success of a relationship, how, how wonderful is your relationship has got a lot to do with the communication. Mm-hmm. How the, the success of your organization, how well do we work together interdepartmentally to come together as a unified organization towards a common goal. It comes down to the communication. How do we as, as a, as a bigger a broader collective as, a, as the human race, how do we solve the world's biggest problems, pandemics, global warming, inequality, these things, it comes down to communication. If we can't communicate and especially cross-culturally, and if we can't communicate across the divides, the digital divides of difference, if we can't communicate, we, we can't solve these problems. So I, I, I'm passionate about communication being a very important piece. And conscious communication is just when, when we're more conscious of something, we're more aware of it. So it's about improving our awareness of the communication itself. So I started writing this book generally. Uh, I found a book writing mentor. She suggested to me, Jem, you need to pick a narrow, a more narrow audience because you're writing for everybody and you need to write for someone in particular. And she suggested to me, she said to me, um, look, I think this book would be really great for men at the moment. I'm not sure what it's like where you are, Umar, but here in Australia, the the cultural stereotypes of men, the brand of men is mm. outdated and dysfunctional. <laughs> and there's there's some prominent men, some of our politicians in the last few years behaving appallingly, a really, really badly and and so this brand of men men gets tarnished by this brush of a few very dysfunctional men but culturally i believe we we as men it's time to upgrade it's time to evolve you know and i believe most men like most humans are good people yeah they're good people they wake up in the morning wanting to do good they're not psychopaths waking up in the morning thinking, how can I hurt people? Right. I believe most of us wake up each morning and look after our children and, and go to work trying to do good. So I'm, that's who I'm writing for, good men and giving them tools on how to communicate more effectively, how to access their emotions, how to um, help each other upgrade the way they treat women, upgrade the way they treat each other, upgrade the way we run our businesses. You know, So that's why I wrote the book for men.
1: Yeah, no, that's a, that makes sense. That's a good topic uh, in that, yes, we, we tend to, I think most men tend to not not really want to share their feelings. And, and I think there was a, I don't know where I heard this, but there was a, a way about how you would ask a man versus a woman the same question, which is uh, for a woman, you would just come right out and say, how do you feel about this? And they'll tell you how they feel about this. For men, you can't say how do you feel. You have to say something like, "What do you think of this?" <laughs> right? Yeah. And then they'll yeah. tell you how they feel, right? But if you ask them, a man, "How do you feel about this?" They turn off and then lock everything down and walk yeah. away, <laughs> basically. Yeah. So very yeah. interesting book. I'll make sure to link it in the show notes. Um, Thank you. Before we part ways, any final thoughts? Anyone? Anything you want to share with uh, with the audience, or just any words of wisdom?
0: Cultivate and then curate your relationship with self. Hmm. We, we talk so terribly to ourselves. If you pay very close attention to the quality of the language that you use towards yourself when you haven't achieved a goal, when you feel that you've um, behaved in a way that wasn't aligned with your values, when you are standing in front of the mirror in the morning before you get dressed and ready for the day, what is the quality of your self-talk like? Because quite often we speak very horribly to ourselves. Yeah. And I and I really believe that if if you can um, create a relationship with self that is towards complete radical self-acceptance, once you are okay with yourself, then you can not make it about you anymore. Then you can really serve. And I believe that all of us, well, not all of us, but A lot of humans have this intrinsic desire to want to do something of value to want to make some sort of positive difference even if it's just in the lives of their children you know we have a we have a desire to do good so you will be better placed to do good in the outside world once you've looked after yourself
1: yeah that's a very good point in that the things we say to ourselves if you can be kind and and to yourself and trust yourself and and really talk to yourself in a positive manner, then you are crippling yourself before you even tackle or face any challenges. Very well said. Uh, Thank you for that. Now, Jem, how can people get a a hold of you? How can people get in touch with you?
0: Uh, So look, it's uh, on, you know, Insta and Facebook and LinkedIn, it's Jem Fuller. If you wanna get in touch with me, go to my website, gemfuller.com. So it's J, Jem with a J j-e-m-f-u-l-l-e-r.com and you can reach out to me through there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, I'll make sure to add that to the show notes as well of this episode.
1: Oh well, thank you very much again for coming on the podcast. I was hoping I would hear some some animal noises in the background but I did not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you didn't hear the sheep. I can hear them in the distance. I was hoping they wouldn't interrupt us.
1: Yeah, no, that would add some some um some flavor to
0: to the to the interview. <laughs> I, I had chickens or... the other day. I was on a podcast the other day and I had chickens outside my bedroom window and I'm like <laughs> I'm sorry you've got me and the chickens and they said that's fine.
1: Yeah, no, that's part of life. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Thank you for waking up so early to do the interview. And uh, from from what you told me earlier, uh, Monday morning is looking great since you're in the future. Uh, Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. We're still here. So when you wake up tomorrow, the world will still be here.
1: Absolutely. Great to hear. Well, thank you very much.
0: You're welcome, Uma. Thank you for having me on your show.
1: That was my conversation with Jem Fuller. And I hope that you found today's podcast helpful. For me, my primary takeaway is that an effective leader, a good leader, leads by example and embodies the principles they want those that they lead to follow. If as a leader, you tell people to follow certain core values that are important to your organization, you yourself must not only follow those values, but believe in them. If you don't, you are just going through the motions just because it's what you're supposed to do. But we all know that doing what you're supposed to do and doing something because it's the right thing to do are two different things. In this day and age, if you want to have longevity as a leader, you must strike a balance between the work and the mindset that will give you the grit and resilience you need to continue to succeed time and time again, because that is the only way you will have longevity as a leader. You can find the show notes for today's episode on my website at umarjang.com forward slash session 45. If you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, pull out your phone right now and give us a review and a rating. It will help others discover the show and learn from the information that I share. Thank you for doing that and thank you for spending part of your day with me today. Until next time, please stay safe and motivated. Goodbye.
0: Thank you for listening to the Motivational Voice Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and rate it on iTunes. Get show notes and the latest blog post at omarjang.com.